Dreaming of a better sleep? Tossing and turning is not your destiny. And Ollie is here to help. Ollie invites you to sink into sweet, sweet slumber to improve your mental and physical health and overall wellness. More than just melatonin, Ollie's ingredients help you unwind your mind for a delightfully dreamy drift off. Sleep is on the way at Ollie.com. That's O L L Y.com. Thank you for joining us around the fire. For more information or to make a donation, please visit randomactnetwork.com. Now, want to hear a scary story? Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach with your people and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash AI for all. It was just 20 years ago, and I had been out all day hunting with no sport to speak of, and I had lost my way. It was not a pleasant place in which to lose one's way, with the first feathery flakes of a coming snowstorm fluttering down, and the evening closing in. Not the faintest sign of life met my eyes in any direction. There was nothing to do but walk on, and take my chance of finding shelter. The snow began to come down with ominous steadiness, and the wind fell. The cold became more intense, and the night came rapidly up. My heart grew heavy as I thought of my young wife watching for me through the window, and thought of all the suffering in store for her throughout this weary night. This morning, when we parted, she had implored me to return before dusk, and I had promised her that I would. Even now, weary as I was, I felt I might still get back to her before midnight if only guide and shelter could be found. I stopped and shouted every now and then, but my shouts seemed only to make the silence deeper. I began to remember stories of travelers who had walked on and on in the falling snow until, wearied out, they were fain to lie down and sleep their lives away. A wavering speck of light came suddenly out of the dark, shifting, disappearing, growing momentarily brighter and nearer. Running toward it at full speed, I found myself, to my great joy, face to face with an old man and a lantern. Thank God, was the exclamation that burst involuntarily from my lips. Blinking and frowning, he lifted his lantern and peered into my face. What for? Well, for you. I've been lost in the snow. How how far am I now from town? A good twenty mile, more or less. How about the nearest village, then? About twelve miles the other direction. Where do you live, then? Please, let me go with you. The old man shook his head and rubbed his nose reflectively with the handle of the lantern. Ain't no use. The master won't let you in. Who is the master? The gnome-like man was hobbling away through the falling snow. You lead the way, and I'll engage that the master shall give me shelter. You can try him. 
A large mass loomed up presently out of the darkness, and a huge dog rushed out, barking furiously. I drew up close behind him, and saw that the door was heavily studded with iron nails, like the door of a prison. Once inside, I found myself in a great, raftered hall. One end was piled to the roof with corn, like a barn. The other was stored with flour sacks, tools, and all kinds of lumber, while overhead hung hams, baskets, and bunches of dried herbs. In the center of the floor stood a telescope of very considerable size, mounted on a rude, movable platform with four small wheels. It was gauntly dressed in a dingy wrapping cloth, and just as I lifted the fabric for a look, a bell rang sharply. That's for you, said my guide with a malicious grin. He pointed to a low black door at the opposite side of the hall. I crossed over and went in without waiting for an invitation. A huge, white-haired old man rose from a table covered with books and papers and confronted me sternly. Who are you? What do you want? I told him I simply sought sustenance and sleep. Jacob, how dare you admit this stranger? I didn't admit him. He shouldered his way in. By what right have you forced an entrance into my home? The same that gives the right to cling to your boat when drowning. Self-preservation. Self-preservation? The snow would cover my body before daybreak. The man strode to the window, pulled aside a heavy black curtain, and looked out. It is true. You may stay through morning. With this, he waved me to a seat and resumed his studies. I placed my gun in a corner, drew a chair to the hearth, and examined my quarters. This room was carpetless. The walls were scrawled over with strange diagrams and covered with crowded shelves of philosophical instruments. On one side of the fireplace stood a bookcase, on the other a small organ decorated with painted carvings of saints and devils. I saw geological specimens, crucibles and jars of chemicals, while on the shelf beside me, amid a number of small objects, stood a model of the solar system and a microscope. Every chair had its burden. Every corner was heaped high with books. The very floor was littered over with maps and papers. A dish of ham and eggs, a loaf of brown bread, and a bottle of sherry were placed before me. I have little to offer you. Your appetite, I trust, will make up for our deficiencies. I protested, with the enthusiasm of a starving sportsman, that I had never eaten anything so delicious. He sat down to his own supper, which consisted of a jug of milk and a basin of porridge. We ate in silence, and when we had done, I drew my chair back to the fireside. My host, somewhat to my surprise, did the same. You are the first stranger who has crossed my threshold for more than four years. Will you favor me with a few words from the outside world? I encouraged his questions, and he leaned forward with his chin in the palms of his hands, stared into the fire, and proceeded. His inquiries related mainly to scientific matters, but I was no student of the subject. I was much relieved when he began pouring forth his own conclusions upon the facts which I had been attempting to place before him. I listened, spellbound. I had never heard anything like it then. I have never heard anything like it since. His thoughts poured in an uninterrupted stream from topic to topic, speculation to speculation like an inspired dreamer. 
He spoke of the soul and its aspirations, of the spirit and its powers, of prophecies, of ghosts, specters, and supernatural appearances. The world rejects as false all that cannot be brought to the test of the laboratory. Show me any fact in physics, in history, archaeology, which is supported by testimony so wide and so various as the belief in apparitions. Yet, he who believes is a dreamer or a fool. He relapsed for some minutes into silence, then added, I was branded a visionary. Ridiculed by my contemporaries and banished from the field I'd given all my best years of life. Since then, I've lived as you see me now. The world has forgotten me, and I have forgotten the world. He rose, as if desirous of ending the conversation, and went over to the window. It is seas snowing, he observed, as he dropped the curtain and came back to the fireside. Oh, if it were only possible. But even if I could find my way, I could not walk twenty miles tonight. Tonight? Are you so very anxious? What are you thinking of? Of my wife, I replied impatiently, who does not know that I have lost my way. He asked from where I'd come and thought a moment. Then he smiled. The night mail from the north changes horses there. They pass within five miles of this spot and will be due in about an hour and a quarter. If Jacob were to go with you, you could find your way, I suppose. Easily. Gladly. He smiled again, rang the bell, gave the old servant his directions, and taking a bottle of whiskey and a wine glass from a cupboard, he said, The snow lies deep, and it will be difficult walking tonight. I would have declined the spirit, but he pressed it on me, and I drank it. It went down my throat like liquid flame, and almost took my breath away. It is strong, but it will help keep out the cold. And now, you have no moments to spare. Good night. I thanked him for his hospitality, and would have shaken hands, but he had turned away before I could finish my sentence. In another minute, Jacob had locked the outer door behind me, and we were out in the bitter cold. Not a star glimmered. Not a sound, save the crunching beneath our feet, disturbed the heavy stillness of the night. Jacob shambled on in sullen silence, his lantern in his hand, and his shadow at his feet. I followed. My thoughts were full of my late host. His voice rang in my ears and held my imagination captive. I strode on at the heels of my guide, absorbed and unobservant. Yon's the old coach road. Keep the stone fence on your right. And how far do I go before the crossroads? About three miles. It's a fair enough road for foot passengers, but too steep and narrow for traffic. Mind where the wall is broken away near the signpost. It hasn't been mended since the accident. What accident? The night mail pitched right over it, falling fifty feet or so into the valley below. Four were killed immediately, they say. The other two died the next morning. How long is it since this happened? Just... Nine years. Near the signpost, you say? I will bear it in mind. Good night. I tipped the man, and he thanked me before trudging back the way we came. I watched his lantern till the light disappeared, and then turned to pursue my way alone. How silent it seemed now, with only my footsteps to listen to. A strange sense of loneliness stole over me, 
though I walked fast, I found it impossible to keep myself warm. I even breathed with difficulty, as though I was scaling the heights of some mountain. I was forced to stop for a few minutes and lean against the stone fence. As I did, I chanced to look back up the road, and there, to my infinite relief, I saw a distant light. It must be the carriage lamps of some private vehicle, though it seemed strange that any private vehicle should take a road known to be so dangerous. Unless I passed the crossroads by mistake, this was the coach I had come to meet. It came round the bend, and I jumped forward, waved my hat, and shouted. The coachman pulled up. The guard neither answered my hail nor made the slightest effort to dismount. The outside passenger did not even turn his head. I opened the door for myself and looked in. There were three travelers inside. I stepped in, shut the door, and slipped into the vacant corner. The atmosphere of the coach seemed colder than the outside air, and was pervaded by a damp and disagreeable smell. I looked at my fellow passengers, all three men, and all silent. How intensely cold it is tonight, I said, addressing my opposite neighbor. I saw that his eyes were turned full upon me, and yet he said nothing. The strange smell inside the coach was affecting me with an intolerable nausea. I turned to my left-hand neighbor and asked if he had any objection to an open window. He neither spoke nor stirred. I lost patience and let the window down. As I did, the strap broke in my hand and I realized that the glass was covered with a thick coat of mildew. Now I saw that every part of the coach was in a condition of decay, crusted over with mold and literally rotting. I turned to the third passenger, and he looked me in the face without speaking a word. His face was livid, and his bloodless lips were drawn back as if in agony, showing gleaming teeth between. A dreadful horror came upon me. I turned to my opposite neighbor. He, too, was looking at me with the same stony glitter in his eyes. I passed my hand across my brow. The pale light played on their awful faces. The awful faces of the dead. Their hair, dank with the dews of the grave, and their clothes, earth-stained and dropping to pieces, and their hands were those of corpses long buried. Only their eyes. Those terrible eyes were alive, and they were all turned towards me. I shrieked as I flung myself against the door, and the coach reeled like a ship at sea. Then came a mighty crash sense of crushing pain and then darkness. I awoke from a deep sleep and found my wife at my bedside. I had fallen over a precipice and had only been saved from certain death by landing upon a deep snowdrift. I was discovered at daybreak by a couple of shepherds who carried me to the nearest shelter and brought a surgeon to aid my broken arm and fractured skull. The place of my fall, I need scarcely say, was precisely that at which a frightful accident had happened nine years before. I told my wife of the fearful events, but she treated the adventure as a mere dream born of the fever in my brain. Others may form what conclusions they please, but I know that 20 years ago, I was the fourth passenger inside the Phantom Coach.